And it's my privilege this morning, yeah, to introduce our National Superintendent, Reverend Brett Jones. And I think this is one of the beautiful things here at The Well, that we are not just called to do faith individually as individuals, we're called to do it as part of a church community, but also not just a local church community, but we're part of a wider movement. Brett, I've been informed that your packets are not. Cool. <laughs> so, anyway, so we've got, yeah, Pastor Brett Jones, Reverend Brett Jones from Auckland, come down to preach with us this morning. He also serves as the lead pastor of Session Church in Auckland. And I'd love to pray for him and us as he brings the word this morning. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, Lord, we thank you that you call us to yourself. Call us into deep and profound relationship. That you don't just call us as individuals, but you call us to participate in your body, to be part of a church community, to be part of a wider movement. Lord, we just pray this morning that our hearts, that our minds, that our souls would be open to the work that your spirit wants to do in us. Lord, I thank you for the word that Brett has prepared for us. May you give him the courage to speak what your spirit is leading to say over us. Come and work amongst us. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Well, it is so good to be with you. I, I worked out that I haven't been uh, here since 2020. There's been a little thing getting in the way of uh, travel and so forth. And uh, uh, my own family ended up, you know, with the, the little C, because it's smaller than the big C, um, the little C, and uh, we just got through, and so I was able to come and uh, be with you. And uh, still standing, still uh, negative, but positive about that. Um, and, uh, and glad that it, it meant that I could, I could uh, be with you. And... Uh, had the chance to catch up with Clint, Pastor Clint, just a couple of weeks ago when he was, was in Auckland, and love that uh, the church is releasing him into this sabbatical time, so important, and uh, worldwide the stats on pastor burnout are just off the charts at the moment uh, with what we've all been enduring, and so very wise, very loving of you to do this, and, and uh, I'm glad to be here as just a part of, uh, of that, uh, because this season I think is like, is like no other. You know, it's a season which feels like we're just out of control. Uh, and, and I don't know how it is in your world, uh, but I can guess. Uh, because when I look around, I see so much that feels like it's, uh, it's falling apart globally and locally, in the big wide world, and in our worlds, tiny as they sometimes seem. And it's happening at home and at work study in our relationships, uh, global politics, supply chains, inflation, all out of control. And here's the thing about losing control. For most of us, the antidote for losing control, that, that reflex that kicks in uh, when we find ourselves feeling out of control, is to take control to at least control what we think we can, although I suspect we try to control far more than we are actually able to, if we're honest. And this drive, this need, this, this reflex towards control, 
drives us to the external world to, to, find, to find order, to find things we can control as our, as our slipping control of our internal equilibrium kind of explodes into the external world and, and we find ourselves trying desperately to control our environments and, and our relationships and even our own ways of being and doing. And until we have a, a crisis of control. We see this in, in, these, in our surging family violence statistics in New Zealand over the last couple of years. Uh, we see it in our polarized social media uh, environments. We see it in the Ukraine. Hillsong. In media, in media spin and, and political positioning. We see it in, in crash diets. <laughs> we see it in voluntary isolation. It's a crisis of control. But this kind of control will bruise our souls. It will bruise us. See, the answer to losing control has never been to seek greater amounts of it. The real crisis we're facing is losing our center, losing our fulcrum of, of well-being. That sense of identity and, and, and even stability that comes from knowing who we are and whose we are. And one of the primary ways that God has given uh, to us that we might pursue this centered life is prayer. So let's pray. Father God, as we come to you amidst the swirl of our own lives, the things that are small in the big scheme of things but large to us, those things that sit on the world stage that we mourn over. God, would you visit us with your presence that we might know who we are and whose we are and that we might have a sense of you with us, ministering to us. And God, it's my prayer that, that each one of us uh, would experience your touch today, that we would have a sense of what you want to speak to each one of us. So, Lord, would you enliven your word to us? Holy Spirit, would you speak deep uh, to our hearts? We ask it in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm following on uh, from David last week. Uh, we kicked off uh, this uh, centered series in Matthew 6. If you want to grab your Bibles, we'll be uh, mostly in Matthew 6 uh, as, we, as we head through. And in Matthew 6, we're, um, we're in this section which is addressing three different practices, giving, prayer, and, and fasting. Familiar Jewish pathways to righteousness. And in particular, the, the righteousness that, that Jesus has highlighted in Matthew 5.20, where he's put a, a, an added flavor on it, a, a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and so these three practices are, are all dealt with in a similar, a similar way. There's a, there's a negative example, uh, which is part of critiquing this current 
uh, Jewish practice, and, and then what the reward is you know, for practicing uh, that kind of hypocrisy, as Jesus calls it. And, and then it's followed by a positive practice and, and its reward, or, or maybe you, like me, be a bit more com- comfortable thinking of that as fruit, you know, the fruit of, of, uh, of a practice. So as we come to this text on prayer in Matthew 6, uh, and we'll just be uh, staying pretty much in 5 through 15, as we come to that this morning, it might not surprise you that control is what Jesus has in mind uh, when he tells the disciples how not to pray, which is how this passage starts. And, and Jesus has two kinds of control in view. The first is this in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like hypocrites, for they, have to, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus is describing a a particular practice of prayer uh, here. And and while we have the reference to the synagogue, the particular uh, practice of prayer is personal prayer, not corporate prayer. That's what Jesus has uh, in focus here. See, it was a part of, of Jewish custom to, to pause daily at 3 p.m. Uh, to pray. And the hypocrites that Jesus had in view took the opportunity, when 3 o'clock hit, to pray loudly on the streets or even uh, in the synagogues. And their, their agenda, if you like, was to draw public attention to private spirituality draw public attention and acclaim to private spirituality. In other words, to control the narrative of how people perceive them as as spiritual people. This, I think, is one way that, that negative practices of control can emerge in our life as we performance manage the impression we make on the world around us. It is a bad idea. It bruises our soul to live this way. And, and controlling the outward impression that we make has never been a way of cultivating a healthy inner life. And the reward here for the hypocrites Well, it's attention. It's that focus on them. And yet I wonder how well that ever played on the the street corners of our social media feeds or in the synagogues of popular opinion. By contrast, this healthy prayer posture that Jesus describes has only one observer, and that is God. In fact, the, the thought expressed here that a person should, should go into their room and close the door is at least partly metaphorical. You see, for many, they weren't at home when the prayer hour arrived. And for others living in the first century, the idea of having your own room, well, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't something that was a part of their reality. But, but the message is clear. Uh, prayer is for God's attention alone. And it's not in this context for public consumption. It's in that sense done in the secret places of our hearts with God. 
As for the reward, well, we'll come, we'll come to that. Before we get to that, the second aspect of control. Now, it's actually um, specific uh, to this example of prayer. So this particular way of looking at the, the issues uh, that Jesus takes, it's not visible uh, clearly in, in the sections on giving or fasting. And we find it in verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. See, the point here is that prayer, that, that while prayer is for God's attention alone, it's not really a, a mechanism by which we get God's attention. Because what's being called out here are, are not long, babbling prayers, although you can still not do that if, if you choose to. You don't have to pray long, babbling prayers. You have my permission, and I'm sure the permission of everybody else here in leadership. Um, we'd all be glad of that. But, but what's been approached here is actually this, the pagan mindset of prayer. Now, uh, when I was growing up as a non-Christian, I, 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 um, I, I identified as a pagan, by which I meant uh, I had no religion. That, that, in fact, worse than that, uh, I was scathing and skeptical of all other religion. But that's actually not what the word pagan means. Pagan religions are a particular uh, religious and, uh, system and, and belief system uh, where at, at the heart of this belief system is the idea that the gods can be influenced, that the, the favor of the gods can be cajoled, the favor of the gods can be gained uh, through sacrifice in particular. And so what Jesus is calling out here is not the long babbling prayers, but rather this mistaken belief that prayer is a, is like a magical opportunity uh, to, to manipulate, to persuade, to control God against his own will. And, and so it's based on, on this idea that of the gods as capricious and willful uh, and, and, and in competition with each other even. And that, that's just much more at home with pagan systems of religion that, for example, emphasize many gods or, or gods of nature. Whereas our prayer life doesn't work like that, does it? Our prayer life is not about controlling God. That's a bad idea. And it bruises our souls. And controlling the, the narrative with God has never been a way of cultivating a healthy inner life. So as we come to pray, we do it we do it free of these ideas of control, of controlling our appearance for others on the one hand, or of controlling God. Because prayer is not about control. Prayer is the antidote for control. So let's explore what Jesus teaches on how to pray. That's his teaching on how not to pray. Let's explore uh, how, how prayer can, can free us from both the sense of being out of control and living in these seasons of uncertainty, but also uh, help us to not reach for the kind of control that damages us. Uh, and, and what's interesting is, is the Lord's Prayer that, uh, as it's been come to, uh, become known as, that follows in uh, verse 9, was a significant focus for early Christians. In fact, um, in the Didache, which is a, a kind of a, a handbook uh, for early Christian practice, 
it actually advocated for this prayer that Jesus gives the disciples to be prayed three times a day. Uh, and, and I think that what that helps us see um, is how, how what Jesus had in mind was very much in line with this Jewish practice of prayer to, to call people to, to private prayer at certain times in the day. And all of this argues uh, for this prayer that Jesus gave to really be a focus for private prayer. And yet, we often use it uh, and see it used in, in corporate settings, which is not a problem. These are, are great and rich words of Scripture that, that, do, that pull us together, uh, and, and we should use it publicly. But I wonder whether it's our default to see it as a focus for private prayer. And so that's the opportunity uh, that Jesus is giving his disciples, and I believe uh, he gives us. So let's un unpack it a little bit. Uh, and I'm going to do that, look, look at three chunks of how this prayer kind of works. And the first part of the prayer uh, mirrors Jesus' first critique, so of the hi hypocrite's approach to prayer. And Jesus is calling us to a different kind of prayer, prayer that, that speaks of our surrender, not our supremacy. Verse 9, is, here's what it says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the centered prayer is one of surrender. It says, in contrast to the hypocrites, I am smaller than God. I am actually smaller than God. And, and, and in this prayer, Jesus is picking up words uh, from well-known Jewish prayers but he anchors them with something distinctive, something not seen before, and, and that is the use of the word Abba, or Father. You see, it's not really a word that was used in prayer at, at the time. And, and in using it, Jesus is um, helping us to see God in a, in a different way. He's helping us to see God in the kind of way that a small child would, would habitually use this word, of a small child speaking to their Abba, to their Father, to their Papa. Uh, that's the kind of the sense that we have. Uh, and that's helping us to see how God sees us and how we in turn might see God. And this, I think, this posture of surrender, how this moment of, of how proper identity drives who we are and how we relate to God. I think we see this posture of surrender you know, actually play out in Jesus' life. It's not just something that he talks about. It's not just talk. He walks it as well. And we see it in Matthew 26, 39, when he prays in Gethsemane, uh, these words, uh, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not not mine, not my kingdom, not my will, but your kingdom and your will. And let's see, I don't know about you, but for me there is, there is relief in the smallness of my prayer. There is relief in praying from that posture of the small, vulnerable, helpless child who, who needs his dad. There's a lot of relief in that. And, and a laying down of, of pride. 
I, I take a Sabbath weekly. It's the day I stop being God. It's not helpful. Our, this, our smallness in it allows us to lay aside our pride, but also our fear, our deep concerns, a sense of, of being vulnerable and at risk. And so we pray as children of God to our Abba, Father. So that's surrender, the first part of the prayer. The second part of the prayer, I, I think, and it actually captures Jesus' critique to the second kind of prayer that he takes on, the, the pagan prayer. And Jesus is, is, is calling us to prayer that speaks of our, of, our, of our dependence, not a kind of a domination of God. Verse 11 says it this way, Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So the centered prayer is, is one of dependence. It says, I need God. I need God. And it's a dependence that simply states these needs rather than the kind of the magical thinking of manipulating God. Now, I don't want to be controversial. Ah, you know, I want to be controversial. But, but did you notice Jesus doesn't tell us to ask for our needs to be met in Jesus' name? So, so pray in Jesus' name, by all means. I, I think it's a, it's a good thing to do. But none of us get to force God's hand by the form of our prayers. And saying something in, in Jesus' name does not make it so. You and I don't, don't have this opportunity to manipulate or control God. What we have is this opportunity to lay our physical needs and our spiritual needs uh, before Him. And uh, before we, um, before we uh, just move on from that, I, I do want to just comment on what I think is happening, you know, in our society at the moment. Particularly as we think about our daily bread. I, I think, you know, maybe for the first time in recent times, in, in the West at least, um, I wonder whether this prayer, praying for our daily bread, has, has an added level of, of re resonance as we find ourselves dealing with a much more uncertain climate. Whether it's uncertainty about uh, jobs and, uh, and, our, and, our, and our businesses, whether it's uncertainty about increased costs of living, uh, concern about supply chains. You can't get your favorite peanut butter anymore. You know, those of you that had to live out isolation have discovered, you know, the things that you thought you had. <laughs> you didn't. But there's a lot more going on than just not having baked beans in the cupboard, right? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of loss in this time. Things cancelled, and I'm not talking about, you know, politically correct myself, but things actually cancelled, like kids' sports events and productions that they've worked for ages on, overseas trips, not being able to go to a funeral of a loved one. It's great loss in this season. And uncertainty uh, as prices surge, as gas prices surge as conflict 
you know, threatens to envelop the world. There's power in a prayer which, which simply asks God for our daily bread. And, and maybe there's a sense in which in the West we, we haven't had to pray that very often. But it's coming more and more uh, to our doors. And leaning into this part of the prayer is part of Jesus' invitation to dependence. You know, not independence, which is so often our cultural default. And remember, your father knows your need before you ask him. See, he's not really that concerned about the prayer itself, but about the prayer, about you and I, you and me and the concerns that we hold. And we also also shouldn't lose verses 14 and 15, um, which help us understand the the, the true breadth uh, of of our dependence on God's forgiveness. Verse 14 and 15, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sin. See, the miracle of God's forgiveness is that he has offered it to everyone, even those who have harmed God us even those who've harmed us imagine that god doesn't just forgive my sins he forgives the sins of others just just not those who sinned against me you know that forgiveness is only required when you've actually suffered offense like forgiveness is academic until that point that's how forgiveness works it only, it's only required when someone offends you, harms you. And so these verses remind us, if we want to fully participate in what God, God is doing by flowing his forgiveness to us, then we will also be conduits of forgiveness to others. We want to fully participate in that. So we're called to this posture of prayer that it draws us into a place of surrender and a place of dependence. But the third part of the prayer reminds us that we're not only smaller than God and people that need God, but that He is bigger than all of what is happening around us. Verse 13. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. See, in, this, in the centered prayer, uh, we, we, we pray into this idea of deliverance, that God is bigger than all of us. And the um, NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, which uses that particular language, I, I think captures what, what we should be most concerned about in prayer, God's, God's presence in the time of, of great trial and God's protection uh, in our resistance of evil. These twin sort of thoughts that are sometimes uh, squeezed out by how these, these parts of the prayer are translated. But both are critically important for our lives. And, and so this prayer, this part of the prayer is an acknowledgement that as small as we might feel, as, as overwhelmed as we might be, and as out of control sometimes as our worlds are, God is sovereign. Did you know that God is not surprised by anything that is happening in your life? He's not surprised by anything that's happening in the world. It's not like he was asleep at the wheel, you know, just careering down the highway and suddenly on come the radio comes a song, Jesus take, well, hang on, that doesn't work, Jesus take the wheel. 
He's awake. He knows what's happening. He is sovereign over all of these things. So this is a prayer for for pandemics and war criminals, for for natural disasters and and human trafficking, for for job loss and and, and identity loss, for, for sorrow and for despair, you name it. The God who is bigger than all of us already knows our needs and sees us with the eyes that a father sees a precious child. Which brings us to the reward, the fruit. What is the fruit of this kind of centered prayer that Jesus teaches? Well, I think Jesus hints at it in the way that, uh, in which he describes God as as Abba, Father, who who intimately knows his children and their needs. And I think Paul, the Apostle Paul, really nails it in Philippians 4. Uh, starting at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. The peace of God, which which makes no sense, which is out of proportion to what you are experiencing. The peace of God that is crazy, insane peace, given what's happening around you, that kind of peace, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the answer to uncertainty and crisis and trial is not control, but peace. And the fruit of centered prayer is not control, but peace. Our other Father. Our other Father, who calls us his children. And he's meeting us in these moments of prayer that we might live lives that are centered in his presence and his peace. We're going to finish by actually praying these words of Jesus. Uh, And uh, so we're going to use uh, Jesus' private prayer in a corporate setting, uh, but I'm going to leave some gaps as we pray it uh, so that you can actually just spend some time in each part of the prayer, the, the part that that identifies who we are and allows us and who God is and allows us to, to, to adopt that posture of surrender. The part that, that allows us to, to, to put our hands out and say, God, would you, would you meet those physical and spiritual needs? I'm dependent on you for them. The, the part of the prayer that, that names God as really sovereign, the one who, who is with us in times of, of trial and the one who protects us and gives us power uh, against the evil one. So we're going to pause as we go through this. And my hope is that you might, you might take some time this week to, to approach the prayer in the same way. That you might take this prayer into your week. And you don't need to do it three times a day. Uh, you can if you want. Uh, you don't have to do it at three o'clock. You can if you want. But maybe this posture and these principles of prayer might be something that you take into your week as you pause and surrender your life to God. Acknowledge your dependence on Him.
and, and ask him to deliver you and our world. So let's pray. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, you're welcome to join in if you want, um, but we're going we're gonna to pause uh, as we go through it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Abba Father, we worship you as our Father. We're so grateful that you call us your children. Would you, would you write on our hearts that truth that we are your children and that you love us? Would you call us into this place of surrender that gives over our own kingdom building to you, that gives over our what we desire for your design? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus, we're so grateful for, for the cross. We're so grateful for what you have done for each one of us that you have allowed us um, to pay the debts that we could never pay without you. Thank you for what you have done for us on the cross. And thank you, Lord, that you continue to, to provide and to flow your goodness to us. We want you to cultivate in us this, this heart of dependence, this, this heart of, of, of great need that comes to you for these things, that doesn't demand or cajole or persuade, but simply uh, presents uh, who we are and what we need to you. Would you write on our hearts that you are a good God, who wants to meet those needs, those physical needs and those spiritual needs. Would you write that on our hearts, Lord? And we continue. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Well, God, you are our deliverer. You stand over all of creation. Um, when it comes to, to power and truth, there's not even a competition with you and the evil one. And so we name you as, as our truth and our power, um, that you are the one that is in control. You are the one that controls the narrative. And so, God, would you... Uh, Visit us with your deep presence as we, as we deal with uh, the tough times that are a part of our life. And would you give us the kind of power and truth that we need to combat uh, the schemes of the evil one. We're open to, to your deliverance. These are things that we cannot do in our own strength. And so God, would, would you be God? Would you allow us to take ourselves off the throne that we might rely on you? that we might give over these things that we, we try to control, that we would give them over instead to you. Would you write it on our hearts, God, 
that you are the great deliverer. Father, we pray that this week would be a week of living into that identity, that, that we would live into who you say we are, and that it would, that it would fuel our, our prayer life with you, that it would call us to, to that place of surrender as we, as we cry out to Abba Father, to our Father who already knows our needs before we even say them. You write it on our hearts, God, that your love for us is so deep and so wide. Would you give us a, a sense uh, of, of, of the central promise of your word that you will never leave us nor forsake us? We long to know your presence. We long to know your peace. And we do ask it in the name of Jesus. Well, thanks for listening. We hope this teaching has served you well and that you've sensed something of God's voice speaking to you. If there's any way that we can help or pray for you, support you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. You can find out our contact info on our website at thewellnz.org or flick us an email at support at thewellnz.org. God bless you. We look forward to hearing from you soon.